0: You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org/media. Matthew chapter 16 is where we are today in our study of the word of God. Matthew chapter 16. And this morning we've come to the 27th and 28th verses of the 16th chapter. But to hear those two verses in their context, let's begin reading at verse 24. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay each one according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Let's read verses 27 and 28 again. But the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then repay each one according to His deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Let's go to our God together in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege we have today to declare the glories of our Savior and our King, your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we ask for your gracious assistance. We ask for the demonstration of the Spirit's power in this next hour, that you'd be at work both in the preacher and in the hearer. That, Lord, your truth would explode upon our minds and hearts in a way that changes us, Lord. I'm so grateful to know that as we gather as your church each Lord's Day, you know us perfectly. You know exactly what we need and your word is sufficient for every spiritual need that your people have. And so, Lord, today I pray for the meeting of the needs of your people, your sheep, as your word goes forth, that there would be encouragement and correction, nourishment, preparation for the future. Lord, You know what we need, and we ask You to meet that need. But we are also mindful that people will hear me today who don't know Your Son. We thank You for the baptism testimony of will that we heard this morning, and Your gracious power on display in these days and saving so many. And we give You thanks, and we long to see more. So we ask that even today might be the day of salvation for someone, Lord. Would you open the heart? Would you shine your light in? Would you give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus? Would you save? We'll be very careful to give you thanks for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. The everlasting destiny of every human being hinges on one relationship. Just one. What is your relationship to the Son of God? that will determine your everlasting future what is your relationship to the son of god if you hold on to the life that you were born with we're talking now about life since the fall of adam every one of us born into this world sinners if you hold on to the life you were born with a life without christ you're going to lose it you're going to lose your soul for forever But if you're willing to lose that life, to trade that life, to exchange that life for the sake of Christ, to know Christ, to love Christ, to submit your life to Christ, to be known by Christ, to belong to Christ, if you will lose life as you have known it and embrace a new life in Jesus Christ by believing God's good news concerning his son, that he is the only Savior that God has given to mankind, if you Turn from your sins to trust in God's Son, His shed blood for the forgiveness of your sins, His perfect righteousness to clothe you and make you acceptable in the sight of God. If you turn away from trust in in yourself and in your works, in your efforts, and you trust in Christ alone, then you will know life for the first time. Eternal life. Life as God desires for man to know it. This is the truth that Jesus taught his disciples in verses 24 through 26. This is what we learned last time we were in Matthew 16. Jesus says in verse 24, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, which everyone understood to to mean death. Be willing to, to follow me to the loss of your own life. This is what we must be willing to do, verse 25, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What would you be willing to lose your soul for? Verse 26 addresses that. For what will will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What would you have in the end? You would have nothing. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? When it's all said and done it's all finished, I wonder the people in hell right now, what would they be willing to trade for the knowledge of Christ? What are you willing to trade your soul for? Well, following those words, when we come to verse 27, now Jesus underscores the urgency and the weightiness of the decision that he's just described in verses 24 through 26. The reason why we must take up our cross and follow Jesus immediately is because judgment is on its way. The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then repay each one according to his deeds. Judgment is on its way. And the very one who offers Himself, verses 24 through 26, who offers Himself to you for life, if you refuse Him, will be the very one who judges you one day when the day of God's wrath arrives. This is why you must turn from your sins now. This is why you must turn from yourself and from the world now and embrace Christ because if you do not, one day, you will meet Jesus as your judge. You either meet Him now, in this lifetime, on this side of judgment, as Savior and Lord, as a shepherd to your soul, or you will meet Him one day as your judge, the one who will judge all humanity. Now, as soon as that truth is made known to men and women, you have a decision to make. Will you continue on your current course, the course you were born onto, and one day arrive at everlasting wrath, or will you turn from your current course to embrace Jesus and know everlasting life? That's the truth that is underscored in our verses. And this morning what we're going to consider are, what does that kind of devotion look like? I mean, if you turn from sin to turn to Christ, what does that look like? What does that involve? So today we're going to think about five truths about a disciple's devotion. Never forget, Jesus is actually exhorting his disciples to take up their cross and follow Him. This is not just a one-time decision, though regeneration results in a decisive decision. But it's a decision that the believer affirms every day that we're alive. We go on following Christ. We go on loving Christ. We go on taking up our cross to follow Him. It's it's not a one-time thing. It's a lifetime thing after the Lord saves you. And when you would wander away, if left to your own strength, the Lord's hand is upon you. He doesn't let you go. And so the faith that He granted you, He sustains. The love that He granted you, He sustains. This is why even when Jesus challenged His own disciples in the Gospel of John, do you want to go away also? Many so-called disciples, disciples in name only, are walking away from Jesus as He talks about some very difficult truths in John chapter 6. And He turns to His disciples and says, do you want to leave also? And they say, where would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. That's the faith that God produces in the lives that He saves. So this is something we go on considering, even this morning, if we are believers. What does it look like for me to be devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? And wherever you find that devotion, you've found both a godly sorrow and a holy love. Sorrow over what we were by nature. Love for the one who is willing to meet us where we were, but not leave us how we were. To meet us right there. Not not requiring us to clean up our lives first, but meeting us right where we were. Rescuing us, delivering us, saving us right where we were, yet not leaving us as we were. Transforming our lives. Godly sorrow over sin, holy love for the Savior. And so we can also describe these five truths by saying that they are five truths about the sorrow and the love that leads to life. The sorrow and the love that leads to life. I'll just give you these five truths as we come to them in the text. Number one, I want you to see with me that true devotion is a matter of faith and urgency. True devotion is a matter of faith and urgency. Verse 27 For, circle that word in your mind, for the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul for the Son of Man is going to come? in the glory of his Father with his angels, and will then repay each one according to his deeds. The question is, do you believe that, you see? Verses 24 through 26 become urgent when you believe what Jesus says in verse 27. That's why the word for connects the two ideas. Jesus talks about the tragedy of, of men and women forfeiting their souls For a fool's treasure. And then the very next word, for, indicates I want you to consider all that I've just said to you about the soul with this truth in mind. There's a judgment day coming. There's a day coming when the cost of selling your soul for the wind is going to be clear for everybody to see. The whole world is going to see how foolish men have been who traded their souls for the wares of this world when the Son of God offered Himself to them for life. There's a day coming just as sure as we're sitting in this room, just as sure as we're hearing the rain, <laughs> that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of His Christ. Revelation 11:15. Then the seventh angel, angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. And of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The the present form of things, dear ones, is passing away. And Jesus will come again and will usher in his kingdom. And if you believe that, if you really believe that, then you turn to Christ. You take up your cross and you follow him. And you don't do it later. You do it now. Now. You make that decision right now. If you believe this, then it's a matter of of urgency, you see. And this is how repentance always happens. God tells the truth about judgment. He offers, graciously offers the promise of forgiveness and mercy. And those who repent hear the warning and the promise and they believe, therefore, they understand. The time to turn is now. The time to run after Christ is now. The time to embrace forgiveness is immediate. I think about the Ninevites. Jonah declares the judgment of God. The sinners in Nineveh hear it. They believe it. And what do they do? They repent immediately. Immediately. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. way God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it Jonah said 40 days now you heard what I just read did you hear any attitude in that chapter that said you know that leaves us 39 to live it up let's just live it up for the next 39 days and then on the 40th day when we were On our deathbed, as it were. Then we will turn from our sins. And maybe God will relent and be merciful to us. No, not at all. You see, when you really believe, you understand right this moment, you have not been reconciled to the judge. Which means you are one breath away. One breath away from an eternity in hell from an everlasting future, a never-ending future of experiencing the wrath of God. And God is offering terms of mercy. He's offering grace to you. Why would you wait another moment? Why would you wait another day? Don't presume. You see, where there's real repentance, presumption is gone. Don't presume on the kindness and patience of God that you'll have another day. heard a joke yesterday. I hate to introduce levity at this moment, but I heard a joke the other day. Yesterday, in fact. This man was telling a story about a doctor meeting with a patient. He said, I have bad news and I have really bad news. And the patient said, what is the bad news? The bad news is you have one day to live. The patient said, what is the really bad news? He said, I couldn't reach you yesterday. And that's like mankind, isn't it? Always thinking he has one more day. Always thinking he has one more moment. Yet 40 days. And some, perhaps even some hearing my voice, would have been among those who would think, let's, let's wait 39 days. But no, when, when there's real repentance, it's now. Matthew eight twenty-one. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let me wait until my father dies and handle all the family business. And Jesus says, no, you follow me now. So where there's true devotion, there's faith. You have believed God's warnings and you have believed God's promises of mercy. You sense the urgency of the moment. It's not tomorrow. It's not next month. It's not sometime in my future. It's now. I will follow Christ. I will take up my cross and follow him this moment. Second thing we see. True devotion is personal. You are devoting yourself to a person. For the Son of Man is going to come. The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels. He's speaking of Himself in the third person. Why? Because Jesus wants His disciples to understand that He is describing Himself in the terms of Scripture. He's taking up the words of the Word of God concerning the Messiah and concerning future judgment, and then relating that to Himself. He is saying to His disciples, you must see Me and understand Me in terms of what God has revealed in His own Word. I am He. I am the Son of Man who's spoken of in the Old Testament Scriptures. I am the one who's going to judge the world as the Old Testament has prepared you to understand. I'm I'm that person. And that's the person that you must trust in if you're going to be saved. This is what he's saying in verse 26, or verse 24 rather, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These are astounding words. Jesus is putting everyone's everlasting destiny in such a way that it hinges on your relationship to him. I mean, this is coming out of his own mouth. You've got to take up your cross and follow me as he stands right in front of them. And then he describes himself in biblical terms. He is the Son of Man. He is the one who will judge the world. Do you see him for who he really is? Have you trusted in him? Not the Jesus of man's imagination. Not the Jesus of your own imagination. Not the Jesus of cultural Christianity. The Jesus of the Bible. Have you trusted in Him? Daniel seven thirteen I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Revelation fourteen fourteen Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour has come, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And what Revelation 14 is describing, there's the judgment of the world. And one like a son of man is sitting on the cloud and he's about to reap the harvest of judgment. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Son of man describes his true humanity. The Christ in whom. We trust the Christ who is the judge of the earth, yet because of the incarnation is as truly human as we are. The everlasting eternal, the eternal Son of God. God Himself took to Himself an additional nature. The Son of God took an additional nature to Himself so that now He is the Son of Man and the Son of God. Came to the world the first time to save, will come again to judge He's been saying this all along. His disciples just haven't understood Him. John three seventeen. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. John 12, 47, If anyone hears My words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. What's he talking about? He's talking about his first coming. He certainly doesn't mean that he's not going to be the final judge. He means the first time he came into the world to save, but he's coming again. Verse 27 the Son of Man is going to come. He's coming again. And this time he's going to come to judge. So the judge, the judge offers himself to sinners for eternal life before it's too late, before he comes to judge the world. Should you not then lose your life to Him? Should you not take up your cross and follow Him while you still have opportunity? You've got to turn to Him, you see, as He really is. Which means third, where you have true devotion, the sinner has perceived the glory of Christ. Not just turning to Jesus but turning to him as I said for who he is and that means you have perceived his glory because notice again this is astounding verse 27 he says he's going to come don't miss this in the glory of his father and then he says something that just is amazing with his angels with his angels when you repent you are bowing your knee in love Jesus, and what you have perceived is that He is God incarnate. The carpenter who walked on this planet was the one who made the planet and is Lord over the planet. The Son of Man is the Son of God. So that when He comes again, He's going to be coming not as a lowly, humble servant that saves but the glorified Son of God who judges, who meets out justice, one and the same person. To say He's coming in the glory of His Father is to say that He comes in the very glory of God. The Father and the Son are one. The divine nature is one. But God has eternally existed in three Persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not a modalistic understanding of that concept. Not one God with three faces, but one God who's eternally existed in three persons, three eternal persons. So that the incarnation did not divest the second person of the Trinity of his divinity, didn't make him any less God, but did make him truly man at the same time. So one nature belonging to Coming into existence in time, but His divine nature never had a beginning. In this one person we find God in man. And when He returns, this is going to be unveiled for everyone to see as He comes in the glory of His Father. Remember in John 17, Jesus prayed for the time when the Father would restore to Him the glory that He had before the world existed. And that is what the world is going to see, that glory. Which is why he's able to describe, this is amazing, the angels as his. He's coming again with his angels. The angels belong to Jesus. He's returning with his angels. He created them. He sustains them. They worship him. They serve him. They are his. If anyone ever comes to you and says that Jesus was not God... Just ask, how then could he describe the angels as his own? D.A. Carson says, The Son of Man will come in his Father's glory, the same glory God his Father enjoys, another implicit claim to the status of deity, along with his angels, who both enhance his glory and serve as his agents for the eschatological ingathering. gathering They are his angels. He stands so far above them that he owns them and he uses them. Close quote. So to see Jesus of Nazareth accurately, you do say, as Will said in the baptism waters this morning, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So it is a believing devotion. It is an urgent devotion. It is a personal devotion. It is a perceptive devotion. You understand God's glory. 2 Corinthians 4 talks about God has opened your heart giving you the knowledge of His glory, but in the face of His Son, Jesus is Lord. Have you ever seen that? Do you recognize that? The fourth thing that characterizes this godly sorrow, holy love, genuine devotion to Jesus is that the sinner has been awakened to justice. Awakened to justice. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then repay each one according to his deeds. The knee is bowed. The cross is embraced. The, the life as we've known it is lost because the sinner understands that sin will never be excused. It has to be answered for has to be atoned for or it has to be paid for forever in hell. Those are the only options. Because when Jesus comes, He's going to settle the accounts. Antipodidomi is the word for repay. To give back, to tender in repayment, to practice reciprocity with respect to an obligation, to exact retribution in the context of judgment to repay, to pay back. Romans 12, 19 uses the word in that sense. It says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And there's no doubt that when Christ comes to settle accounts, there will be reward and blessing for those who have genuinely trusted in Him and followed Him. But there will be retribution, there will be repayment, for all of the, 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 the sinful works and deeds that sinners have committed, all the hateful words and attitudes and deeds that have been committed against God, there will be a day when divine justice is meted out. And notice this day of judgment doesn't just represent justice, it represents individual justice. He will then repay each one Each one according to his deeds. One of the great lies, young people, listen, one of the great lies you're hearing, you're going to hear it when you leave high school. Unfortunately, sadly, if you go to a public college, public university, in the time we're living in right now, you're going to hear. Social justice doctrine again and again and again and again. And one of the great lies about the current social justice movement is that we're to see the world in groups. Has this group been treated fairly? Has that group been treated rightly? Has justice been been achieved with respect to this group or that group? I just want you to note that when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords meets out justice, he doesn't do it according to groups. He sees each person standing in their own merits if they're not covered by his blood. And each one will find that they have no merit. I want you to look for just a moment. Keep your Bible marker here. Go to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. Young people, the only way you will survive in this world of lies is if you know the scriptures. May the Lord saturate your mind and hearts with the truth. His word is the truth. And here's a truth that you need to be constantly aware of. Psalm 62 verse nine. "Surely men of low degree are merely vanity, and men of rank are a lie. We look at this world and we see people that we put up high, and we have other people that we put down low, and men. And women, standing in our own merits, are all nothing before God. In fact, notice what he says in verse 9. In the balances they go up. You know the kind of scale, you've seen the kind of scale where you put something on one side and then you put weights on the other side to measure the value. And God is saying in this verse that what happens when His holiness is on one side of the scale and man is on the other, He just goes up he's nothing. In the balances, they go up. They are together, lighter than a breath of vanity. a breath of nothing. The great ones of this earth will one day discover that in the sight of God, based on their own merits, they are nothing. Men walk around with their chest poked out and don't you know who I am? Don't you know how much money I have? Don't you know what influence I have? Don't you know? You see this World Economic Forum that meets and all these. Can you believe that people like us have gathered together to save the planet? You're nothing lighter than a breath of vanity. Do not trust in oppression. Do not put vain hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, that strength belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs loving kindness, for you repay a man according to his work. Like Matthew 17. Well, who's going to repay man according to his work? Jesus will. He is the one who is going to come and repay man according to his work. He is Almighty God, who in loving kindness will bless those who know Him, but will give retribution to those who don't know Him. He's the judge. So justice is coming, and it's going to be individual justice, and it's going to be commensurate justice. What is meted out will match the person's deeds. He's going to repay each one according to what? According to his deeds, what he did, what he thought, what he said, what he felt, measured. Either graciously in Christ Jesus for the purpose of reward or faithfully, truthfully, perfectly measured by what you have done in comparison with God's holiness because you refused the Savior, you were not covered by His blood, you will stand naked before God in your own deeds. And when that day comes, the scale will go up and you will discover you have nothing that commends you to God. Absolutely nothing. And by the way, can I tell you, at that day, all the new morality will be shown to be the immorality that it truly is. Every list in the New Testament that says, don't be deceived, people like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You will find on that day they did not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And whenever the Bible tells you not to be deceived, you can be sure of this, someone's trying to deceive you. And so when our culture reaches a place that marriage no longer means anything, that sexual faithfulness no longer means anything, That we're being taught that we can each choose our own sexual identity. That homosexuality isn't sin and transgenderism is something we ought to pity, not rescue people from, but affirm them in what's going to destroy them. This day will reveal it's lies. It's all lies. Let God be found true in every man a liar. God tells the truth. Do you believe his word? Times may change, but the truth doesn't change. Times may change, but the truth doesn't change. And if you ask, why does the church need to talk about those things? Dear ones, look around you. Do you see all those young faces? Old ones as well. But when you talk about our children and our grandchildren, who will tell them the truth in this world full of lies? And what is the church but the pillar and support of truth? In this world, we cannot afford to be silent. So where there's true devotion, what do you have? You've been awakened to the knowledge that justice is coming. And either I will flee from the wrath of God and hide myself under the blood of Jesus who died for sinners. Or I will stand before God one day naked in my own deeds and pay for every sin that I've ever committed. Last thought, what do you see when you see true devotion? You see a response to love. When God reveals his judgment, it's because of his love. You know, he didn't have to announce it. If it was in the heart of God to delight in judgment, I'm not talking about from the standpoint of the ultimate glorification of God, because in that sense, God will delight in judgment. But in terms of his desires, not his decrees, but his desires towards sinful men. If God didn't desire mercy instead of judgment, he would just stay silent about his judgment and then one day deliver it. Why does he announce it in advance? Because he loves you, you see. He prefers that you turn and live. That's why he announces it. Which gets to the point of verse 28. Jesus says, truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What is he talking about? You're going to read commentators debating over this and disagreeing over this, and they will continue to disagree until Jesus comes. But I believe the right answer, the sound answer, is that what Jesus describes in verse 28 is what we're going to see tonight in chapter 17 where three men are taken up to a high mountain and Jesus is transfigured before them and they get a glimpse of that future glory before they die. That's what he's talking about. And if you ask, why would Jesus reveal that glory to those three men? Because those three men were then to be witnesses to their companions and to the world of what they saw. And what Jesus reveals is a confirmation of what he's just told them. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to come and do. And I'm going to give you a glimpse of it before the day arrives so that you can tell the world I really am who I say that I am. What I say is coming is really coming. You've gotten a preview of it. And that's love. That's love. You say, well, I sure wish I would have had a vision like that. You've got the record of it. And you don't just have the record of it. You've got a record of everything else that Jesus ever said and did that God knew needed to be preserved for you and I to flourish spiritually. Everything that we need, God has preserved for us in His Word. And He has dropped it into your lap. You talk about a blessed generation. Before the printing press, most people gathered into churches like this. They heard the preaching of the Word of God, but they didn't have a personal copy of it. They had to memorize it, rehearse it, repeat it, teach it to one another. You have it in your lap. What love God has given us that we have His words in our laps this morning. We can take it home. We can read it, memorize it, live in the light of it every single day that we're alive. Has God not loved us? And He pleads with sinners through clay jar vessels like me. Be reconciled to God before it's too late. If God is telling the truth, then you don't wait 39 days. You repent now if you're in Nineveh. And you don't wait, presuming you're going to have another day, another breath, another year of life sitting in this room listening to this sermon. No, if you believe God and you've not yet turned to Christ for life and salvation, you turn now. Take up your cross And follow me, Jesus said. Can you imagine someone selling his soul for the whole world? Much less for the little trinkets found in this world that so many people sell their soul for. Because, don't you know, the Son of Man is coming. And he's going to judge the world. And when he does, every individual will be repaid according to his or her deeds. Run right now to Jesus for life. Take up your cross and follow him. Hide under his shed blood that was paid to bring the forgiveness of every sin we've ever committed. Embrace Jesus and for the first time you will know what life really is. Not tomorrow. Today's the day of salvation. And the church would say, Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your grace and mercy and kindness to us in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you have revealed the future before we arrive at it. No man or woman or young person in this place can ever say that we were not warned. Even without such a warning, we would be responsible. But Lord, you have warned us because you love us. And you've given us the opportunity this very day to flee to your son and to find your mercy in him. Oh, Lord, save sinners. And for everyone in this room who is saved, let us renew our commitment to Christ this day. Let us take up our cross this day and follow Him this day. Let us confess together this day that Jesus is Lord. And God is true and every man is a liar. O Lord, let us believe Your words and live in the light of them with every breath You give us until the day that we see our Savior face to face, in the glory that he had before the world was ever formed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.